Amen. Thanks, Jeremy, and thank you, worship team. Let's give it up for this team here. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. It's awesome. So rich every time. Well, good morning, church. How you doing? Doing good? Give me, give me like a thumbometer. Ever done one of those? This means you're doing great. This means you're doing okay. This means you're doing bad. All right. So we got half of you being honest. Thank you. Awesome. All right. It's gonna, I'm hoping by the end of today, you're going to be more encouraged. But I do have a warning for you. This might be a convicting message. But before we get into the message, a uh, couple reminders and announcements. Um, one, for guests that are here, thanks for being here. I see a few fresh faces. Thanks for checking out Antioch this morning. And we want to meet you and give you a little gift. We have a simple little gift out in the foyer, little connect booth. So bring that little connect card and then go to that connect booth after the service. And we'd love to bless you with a little gift and get to shake your hand and meet you. And then um, also, Larry already mentioned this, but right after the service, we've got some baptisms that we're going to be facilitating, which is going to be a celebration. And we're excited. Those uh, girls are going to be able to share a little bit of their testimony and why they want to get baptized later at the end of the service. And so get ready for that. It's going to be awesome. We'd love to celebrate people just making this commitment publicly to say, I'm all in for Jesus. And then last thing, uh, this will be a new announcement for some of you guys and a reminder for others of you. But middle of May, May 14th, there's a big uh, nationwide event in Kansas City called The Send. Uh, how many of you guys have heard of The Send before? Okay, great. So it's a gathering of so many different ministries all over our nation, really all over the world. And there's going to be tens of thousands, if not over 100,000 people there. Um, that's what I'm believing for, for like about 100,000. And it's going to be a day-long event where there's worship and there's prayer and there's stirring to the body of Christ to go and be sent out into the world to make disciples and to represent Jesus. And there's just been a lot of prayer and a lot of faith that is in the hearts of those that are facilitating this event. Antioch is, is one of the main ministries. Antioch, uh, the movement itself, is um, one of the main ministries that are hel helping host this. And you get to hear from some of our leaders while they're there. But it's going to be a powerful time. There's been a lot of uh, prophetic words and things that are stirring people's faith that this is going to be a significant event that's going to lead to a great awakening and revival in our nation. And uh, when, I, when I think about this event, you know, Kansas City is only about three and a half hours away. Um, you know, I think of like, you know, 20 years from now, what am I going to tell my grandchildren? I'm like, I want to tell them I was there just in case the Spirit of God falls and something really dramatic happens. I want to tell them I was there. Uh, but even if something dramatic doesn't happen, which... Anytime you come in faith and presence of God, it's dramatic. But, um, you know, it's just so worth it for us to set apart a day to pray and to contend for God's purposes and what he wants to do in our nation and around the world. So I want to encourage you guys to sign up, go to this uh, website, and uh, look at more information. We're not going to do like a church-wide trip there, uh, but we'd love to know if you are going. And so it's free, but um, go look up the send online, register, and then if you're going, we'll probably reach out to you and uh, let you know what we're, what we're doing while we're up there. Sound good? Okay, I'll remind you guys in the next couple weeks. But let's get into the message. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, and let me catch you guys up to speed if you've not been with us lately. So we are in week four of a series we've been doing through First and Second Peter that we're calling Living for Eternity. And it's been awesome. Our, our aim through this series has been to learn how to live in light of eternity. Or another way to say that is with, with eternity in mind. And we've been talking about how the reality is our life on earth is so short to compare to eternity. And 
it matters that we do not live just for this much. Let me look at my fingers here. It matters that we learn to not just live for this much, the 80 years or so that you'll get on this earth, 90 years. Some of you I know are believing for 120, so let it be, you know, but just, we don't want that still, even 120 is like this compared to eternity. We don't want to live as if this is all there is. Eternity is real. It matters. And as you look throughout First and Second Peter, there are plenty of topics and there's some themes, but there's an underlying motivation that Peter gives these believers in everything that he's calling them to do. The underlying motivation is, guys, here's why I asked you to do that. It's because you are living for eternity. You are not living for this world. You are living for the day where you stand before the Lord. And we've looked at several scriptures about it says we're going to give an account to the Lord. It's like you're living for that day. So don't try to get all your vengeance now. Don't try to take out this. Don't try to chase this dream. Live in light of eternity because this is more real than what any of us would maybe acknowledge ourselves, and definitely more real than what the world acknowledges. This life is not all that there is. And so last week we talked about um, the living hope, the eternal living hope that we have in Jesus because he rose from the dead. Anybody thankful that Jesus is alive and he came out of that tomb? Come on. Celebrated Easter last week. It was awesome. It's a little verse in 1 Peter 1 that talks about how we have uh, been given a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The week before that, we talked about the judgment seat of Christ, which is this place where we will stand before Jesus, not just as Savior, not just as Lord, not just as friend, but also as judge. It's all throughout Scripture. We stand before this judgment seat of Christ, not to prove ourselves so that he accepts us, but to give an account with what do we do with the life that he gave us and the salvation that he gave us. So we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then the first week, we talked about the freedoms that come when we live uh, for, with eternity in mind. So many of our stresses and our anxieties and our worries really have to do with the things that only pertain to this much. But when we lift our eyes up to Jesus and start living in light of eternity, it frees us from a lot of those things. And so this morning, we're staying in First uh, Peter, but the topic this morning might seem like a little bit of a diversion, but I promise it's connected. This morning, I'm going to talk about our words. Everybody say words. We're going to talk about our words. Now, as you look at First Peter, multiple times, Peter is bringing up to these believers how words are used. And he's not just talking about, you know, normal chatter. He is specifically talking about how words are used to slander, to revile, to speak evil against, and to insult. And there's this theme throughout 1 Peter where it's obvious that these believers were going through some sort of opposition or trial or persecution. Um, he, he reminds them of that underlying motivation of living for eternity. But what's interesting is what you'll notice is it seems like a lot of this persecution, this trial, this opposition, was not just physical beating, though of course many of the early believers died for their faith, but it seems like they were experiencing a lot of slander. People were speaking evil of them, hating Christians, and saying it over and over again. And Peter is admonishing and exhorting this church, how are you going to respond to this? How are you going to respond to this? And he keeps bringing them back to this underlying motivation of we responded to that in light of eternity. And he focuses um, on two things, and this is what I'm going to focus on this morning. He focuses on, one, the words that we speak, the words that come out of our mouth, and then two, how we respond to those that speak against us. Now listen, if you're not a talker, you're one of those quiet type, you have a little bit of an advantage with this topic, all right? For those of us that happen to talk a lot, 
Lord have mercy. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Okay, but words are a big deal. It's all throughout Scripture. There's this, um, this theme that our words actually matter. And before I dive into some of the specifics of 1 Peter, let me show you this slide that gives you a little bit of a kind of counsel of the Word of God um, in regards to Scripture. A couple of Proverbs and a couple of other verses from different epistles in the New Testament. Here's what it says. I think this slide has them all up there. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. I should say life. Life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Do you know that your tongue, your words, have the power of life and death? Okay, Proverbs 21, it says, Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let me pause on this one. Wouldn't that be amazing if your closest friends that hear you talk the most say that that's pretty true about you? Wouldn't that be amazing? Like the only thing that comes out of your mouth is that what's helpful and builds people up. Woo! That is, that is a high calling. And look at James 1, 26. As those who consider themselves religious, and this is not used in the way that we use the word religious. This is a good connotation here. Those that consider themselves godly and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves in their religion or their faith or their godliness is worthless. Woo! Strong words from James. So hopefully you're seeing, just for a few verses, there is a seriousness and intensity about our words. Now what I hope that I share this morning will be really helpful for us, but it might also be a little convicting. But we're, we're in this together. Some commitment that I don't always verbalize all the time here is like, hey, we are, we are here for Jesus. We're not here just to like entertain you and make you feel comfortable and make you feel like, you know, it's just like, no, this is, we're, we're in it for Jesus. And I wish I could be sitting in the chairs with you because yeah, it's part of my job, but you all just stare at me for like an hour, okay? Sometimes two on a real good message. Anyways, um, but... I just we're in this together. We're, we're staring at Jesus and we're asking him to help us follow him and learn how to follow him. And part of that learning means he convicts and he corrects and he, and he helps us. Of course, he encourages and he comforts us as well. But I just want to encourage you to just let your heart be open. We just sang it earlier. Let's let your heart be open to the Lord. However this applies to you, um, let him convict you. Let him have his way. Amen? So I'm going to pray right now. The Lord will continue to open up our heart and then we'll dive into some of these verses in First Peter. Okay, so Lord, here we are. Thank you that you've been with us this morning. Thank you for all that you're already doing in us. And Lord, I just ask you to open up every one of our hearts to receive your word this morning. Lord, we confess. I confess first. We need help. I need help with, our, with the words that come out of my mouth. And Lord, I ask that you would mark us, Lord, this morning. That we would speak differently than when we came in. And that, Lord, through these scriptures we're reading that, Lord, you would really teach us, you would help us, and we thank you that you are gracious, even in the ways that you convict us. So, Lord, touch us this morning. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, here we go. Let's start off first about the words that we speak, and then I'm going to get to kind of how we respond to those that speak, specifically speak against us. All right? So, first, a couple of uh, verses from First Peter chapter 3. First, it says this. It says, whoever desires to love life and see good days. Just let me pause. How many guys want to love life and see good days on this earth? That's not a trick question. <laughs> the answer should be yes. All right. So here's what it says. If you want that, let, it says this, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears 
Everybody say ears. This is important in light of what we're talking about, our words we're speaking. God's ears are open to our prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In another verse, 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 1, it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander. Now, we'll keep that up just for a second. Let me define a couple of these words because I don't know if you use all these in your normal language. Malice means like ill will or bad intentions. Deceit, most of us know what that means, but it's like um, crafting and planning something, oftentimes in a negative connotation. Hypocrisy means like you're just, you're acting and pretending. Envy means you're jealous of someone else's blessings. And slander means to speak evil of. Let me uh, make a quick point on this. I mean, just real direct exhortation here from Peter, but I want you to notice everything, all those uh, five words, the first four are all internal things. Then the last one comes out of your mouth. Okay, you could say hypocrisy maybe is a little bit outward, but you see that? It says malice, so bad intentions, deceit, things you're just kind of scheming up, hypocrisy, pretending, envy is like that jealousy within your heart. Jesus said that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if we want breakthrough with our words, let's start first. What is going on in there? And let, just let the Lord in is all I'm going to say. Let, let him in. What's going on in there? There's, you're just consistently struggling with jealousy or envy or comparison or, or having bad intentions or whatever. Like just open up your heart to the Lord and let him in there. And when he touches your heart, it's going to affect what comes out of your mouth, especially in your relationship with other people. Because all of these things have to do with the relationships with other people. Now, what I notice at the end of that verse, keep it up there, it says, um, it says all slander, slander, all slander. So I'm going to mention about the slander in a sense that we're tempted to do or that we do do against others, but I want you to think about something that might, you might not think about when you read this, and that's this. How do you talk about yourself? And and out loud, but also your inner dialogue, your self-talk. How do you talk about yourself? And it just stood out to me. I don't want to skip over this, though it's not my main point. It says get rid of all slander. <laughs> and I would say when slander meaning speaking evil of, is there any way that we speak evil of ourself? Okay, a couple phrases that might come through your mind. It may come out of your mouth. It may just go through your mind, but, oh, I'm just, just such an idiot. Or, man, I'll just never be able to do blank. Or, I'll, I'm just a whatever. There's just words or at least phrases that float through our minds sometimes that are negative directed toward ourselves. And I, uh, you know, this starts early. This is actually natural for your upbringing. I'm working with it on some of my children. Just a couple days ago, I'm playing basketball in the driveway with uh, my son Josiah, my oldest, and we're playing this game called Around the World uh, where you just, you know, you shoot around, then you go a little bit further, you shoot around, and if you keep making it, you keep going further. Anybody played Around the World? All right. Um, I win every time against my children. Anyways, yeah, so I was playing against Josiah, and he got to, like, the third round, and it's far away. And then what came out of his mouth when he got there was, I'll never be able to make it from here. And just so happened to be on the week that I was preaching on words. And so I said, Josiah. <laughs> so, uh, I paused. And I said, wait, wait, whoa, 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 Josiah, wait. Why did you just say that? Why did you say that, buddy? And, you know, it's not a, not a huge deal, but I'd rather talk about these little things because these little things can spiral into this learn, teaching yourself how to speak negatively about you. And that's not what God wants because that's not what God says about you. So I talked about it a little bit. Dude, 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 hold on, hold on, wait, wait, wait. 
let's, let's pause. Why did you say that? Talk to him a little bit, and then I just kind of coach him through, like, hey, let's repent for saying that. Let's ask God for a truth, which the simple truth was I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then guess what? Three shots later, he made it. All right? And so I don't know if it had to do with the, the truth that he spoke over himself, but I'm glad it, it debunked the lie that he spoke over himself that I will never be able to make it from here. Super simple, but, you know, in our lives, we, that, this example hopefully resonates with you, but it's not because you're playing around the world. <laughs> Okay? It's things you're really trying to pursue in life, and, and you keep failing, and then some phrases float through your mind or come out of your mouth that are negative and not what God is saying. You know what God is saying over you? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139. If you're ever wondering what he's saying over you, read Psalm 139. You're fearfully, you're wonderfully made. You didn't make any mistakes. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. His grace is sufficient for you. His power in your life is made perfect, even in your weakness. So if we learn to speak God's truth over us, it will definitely affect how we live. So there's your, not main point, but hopefully a good and encouraging point for you, is learn to speak truth over yourself, even to think truth. But now let's talk about the way we speak about others. Okay, and I'm going to make this category real big. Okay, our friends, our family, our coworkers, your bosses, Church leaders, other churches, politicians, and I have in here either, even restaurants. <laughs> Listen, guys, we live in a culture where it is normal for us to speak freely because, you know, in America, free speech. It's been a big topic lately, hasn't it? Free speech. But I just want to challenge you as the people of God, the Constitution is not my ultimate authority. I submit to whatever boundaries the Word of God gives me in regards to my tongue. And there's times where he doesn't want me to speak this or that or against this person or that person or this entity or that entity. And you know what's so crazy is our speech, our words, is literally one of the main things that sets us apart from the world and makes us look different. And it is, yes, the actual words that we're saying, but it's also the tone and the spirit behind what we're saying. Philippians 2 talks about it. You can put that verse up there, Philippians 2, 14 and 15. says, do all things without complaining or grumbling or disputing so that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Through the difference of how we speak and communicate and whether or not we grumble and we complain about this and that and this and that and this rule and that rule and this thing and that thing it actually makes us shine when we don't sound just like the world so here's a couple examples just to make sure it's clicking if you want to sound just like the world here's a couple things you could do i'll give you some alliteration it's all c's ready you could criticize you could complain and you could condemn criticize and you might start soft, but it's just like, oh, I, mean, I think this thing would be better. I think I should, we should do it this way. Or, you know, we live in this Google review culture where we think that this is n normal. Well, listen, it is normal in our culture, but amongst the body of Christ, I think it should be a little different. Complain, or I can't believe this, or they always do this or that, or condemn, which means like, even if you see rightly a fault in something or someone else, you begin to condemn, which means you say this thing or these people are evil. And I would... I would discourage that. In the same way that we judge others, we ourselves will be judged. 
Now, if you want to look a little different than the world and you want to shine in the midst of this generation, then here's a couple other things we could do. Instead of criticize, we could. Here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. Encourage. <laughs> okay, instead of complain, we can give thanks. Instead of condemn, we could bless. Now, there's certain situations where it's not good that we, like, what I'm, what I'm not saying is that we lie about something that's really bad. <laughs> okay, it's not what I'm saying. Um, but there's certain contexts where, man, this, this should be the norm for the people of God. That we are prone by the grace of God, him touching our hearts and touching our lips, that we encourage. That we give thanks for things. We find, we dig for things we can be thankful for. And we bless with our mouth. Now, one more important point about words that come out of our mouth, and this has to do with the way that we relate with each other in interpersonal relationships. It is, I'm going to say this a couple of times, it is a lot easier to talk about someone than to talk to someone. I'll say that again. It's a lot easier to talk about someone than to talk to someone. Now, Here's something that I would love to be normal in this church. And a lot of you guys, some of you are out of town, some of you are just visiting. But for those of you that you, you're part of Antioch, here's what I would love to be normal in the way that we talk and conversations that we have. If someone is coming to you and is talking to you about someone else, pause and just ask them, hey, have you talked to that person yet? Have you talked to them yet? Do it. It will be really helpful for the health of our body. And I think you guys are doing a pretty good job, but I just want to remind us and throw logs in that fire again, like, hey, let's go after this. We don't want to be a church that bites and, and gripes and all whatever else rhymes with those words. And just we want to be a, a, a body that believes the best, that blesses each other and speaks about it and goes directly to those that we have concerns with. Okay, this could be a coworker, professor, roommate, but especially if it's another church member, let's hold each other accountable to this because the only biblical model for us is to talk directly to those that we have been hurt by, offended by, or have concerns for. Talk directly to them in a spirit of humility, not accusation, and just asking, hey, will you help me understand you said this, and it made me feel this way, but, you know, here we are. Let's talk it through. Will you help me understand what's going on there? I've had plenty of those conversations, and we go in it genuinely seeking peace, not revenge. And those conversations, I, they go great if there's two people that are committed to seeking peace. All right, last thing I want to say about our words before I talk about this other, can I give you my second message here about the way people talk about us is, you know, it's just kind of bringing it all back to the main theme of this whole series, which is living for eternity, and I want to just remind us why it matters the way that we speak. Okay, it does affect our earthly relationships, but it's because there's going to be a day where we stand before Jesus and we have to give an account of our lives, and there's only a few specific things that Scripture tells us we will for sure give an account for, and one of those things, you guessed it, is our words. Here's what Ma Jesus said in Matthew 12. He says, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. What this scripture should do is rightly put a healthy fear of the Lord over our lives. And let me just ask this question, and I'll answer it first, then you can answer it. How many of us? How many of you guys have ever messed up with your words? <laughs> Great. So when you see a verse like this, I mean, you should have a healthy fear of the Lord. But here's what happens. When you feel convicted by ways you've messed up, you run to that throne of grace. You ask the Lord for forgiveness and mercy. And you get up and you ask them to help you not do it again. 
It's called repentance. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, that there is always forgiveness, there's always hope every time that we come to him. Amen? That should encourage us this morning. Okay, now let's talk about um, this other category, which I think will be insightful for some of you guys, but it's the way people speak against us. You know that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? It's a lie! It's a lie. When people say evil things against you, it hurts. And listen, some of us are more sensitive than others, and that's actually okay. But man, if someone is like intentionally speaking evil about you, there's not a person in here that should like that. It hurts. (laughs) It hurts. And unfortunately, it's not just enemies and strangers that speak hurtful things. Sometimes it's close friends. And it's family, and it's even other strong believers. But here is the game changer. Not whether or not someone's going to speak evil against you in your life, but the game changer is how are you going to respond to that? How are you going to respond? And in 1 Peter, it's this unique thing that I mentioned earlier, but I'm going to give you a couple examples. You can write these references down if you want, but multiple times, at least three times clearly, but I think there's about ten references all throughout 1 Peter, how Peter is saying, Something in, in regards to how this, these believers are going to respond to accusations and slander and insults against themselves because of their faith. So here at 1 Peter 2.12 is a good one. It says, when they speak against you as evildoers. 1 Peter 3.15-17, it says, when you're slandered and those that revile your good behavior, do this. And then 1 Peter 4.4, 4, it's in context, it's talking about how unbelievers are so confused and why you don't participate in all their drunken parties. It's literally what it says. First Peter 4, 4, it says they're confused and then they malign you or they speak evil against you and they make fun of you and they mock you. Now, for us, okay, here, here, here's what it could look like that we might experience. It could be some of you mocked by family members because of certain convictions you have because you want to honor God. Or Another thing could be just mocking that you're a Christian itself. Someone really thinks this is a joke and Jesus is not real, didn't raise from the dead, and that all Christians are fools, and they might just simply mock you because you're a Christian. Okay, some of it might be you made a mistake before, and someone in your life is not letting that go. They're continuing to bring it up every time you're around them, and they're condemning you, even though you've acknowledged your mistake and you've repented before the Lord. Or it could be uh, someone viciously accusing you of being unloving because you hold true to a clear doctrine and truth of the gospel. And let me just remind us, church, that the, the truth of God's scripture is becoming more and more offensive in our culture. Here's a couple examples. Okay, the truth that Jesus is the only way of salvation. It's only through faith and belief in his death and his resurrection that we might be saved and live eternally with the Lord. That is very offensive in our culture. It's becoming ever increasingly offensive. Wait, there's not another path? Not all roads, roads lead to heaven? No. Another thing is the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman. That's becoming ever increasingly offensive in our culture. And so as believers and those that say we follow Jesus and follow his word, you need, to, you need to be prepared because I don't necessarily think there's going to be a time, it's not trending this way at least, where we're going to, like, the truths and the offensive truths of the scripture are going to become more, you know, accepted. Seems like it's going the other way. And I think that's actually a good thing. 
Because what it's going to do is produce a resolve in you of what do you believe? And are you going to stay faithful to Jesus and to his word? And I say, come on, guys. Yes, this is amazing. What if we all get so persecuted because we stayed faithful to Jesus? None of us will regret that when we stand before him. Woo! I'd rather be around those people <laughs> while I'm living on an etern- in, in this earth. All right, I got excited. Where, where was I? All right. Okay, so before I talk to you about how to respond when someone slanders you, let me talk about what you don't do. You don't yell back and slander back and accuse back. Okay? Now, let, let me talk about a, a, something from 2 Corinthians. It talks about how we don't have to be unaware of the enemy's schemes. You guys familiar with that? It's 2 Corinthians uh, 2.11. It says we don't want to be outwitted by Satan, and we're not aware, unaware of his schemes. Okay? And the Bible also tells us that the devil is the accuser. He accuses believers. It says this in uh, Revelation 12 and also Zechariah 3 and 4. He's an accuser. He stands before, he just accuses us, accuses us, accuses us. And here's what happens. The devil has an agenda. When you get accused and you get slandered, he has an agenda. But also the Lord does, which we'll talk about that in a second. The enemy's agenda is to try to get you to take, let's this kind of analogy here. Someone accuses you, it's like an arrow or a missile that comes and hits you and it hurts. What he wants you to do is pick that arrow or get more arrows and throw them back. And get into this battle of accusation, accusing and accusing, slandering and slandering, reviling, reviling. And then if that happens to us, then the enemy just sits back and says, yes, that's exactly what I wanted. Especially amongst believers. I want them bickering, and I want them hating each other, and I want them growing an accusatory spirit. Because you know what accusation does? It, like, it chokes us from the grace and the love of God, and it makes it hard to receive. When you start believing lies and accusation. So here's my encouragement, guys. Don't give in. Don't give in. It distracts us. It discourages us. It derails us. It cha- and it even changes our thoughts and our inner conversations. You, you, you guys would probably understand what I mean. It's like someone said something bad about you, or you think they're saying something bad about you, or somebody said that somebody said that somebody said something about you, and you just start going there in your mind, and you start arguing with them in your mind. You're picturing how you're going to win this argument. When I picture it, I always win the argument, but it's not really helpful, actually. It is, what it does is it, it, it sucks life out of me, actually. It drains me, and the Lord is, like, teaching me. He's like, Mitchell, you, you, you used to spend this time, whether doing dishes or going on a run, talking to me, conversing with me, fellowshipping with me. But I get so wrapped up in this accusation war, and it's a distraction from the enemy. And the Lord wants to free us from that. So here's what the scriptures in 1 Peter 3 tells us to do. And I'm going to read the first verse, and then the actual directions are on the second one. It says, finally, all of you, 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, I don't want to skip over verse 8, that first part. Again, it's similar to what I shared earlier. All those things have to do with, like, inner things. Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humility. Always start with our heart and asking the Lord to continue to grow us in his Christ-likeness in our heart because out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. But then it gives us the specific direction of what to do if we are spoken evil of. Look at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, which men, again, revile means speak evil of, but on the contrary, bless. 
Now hold on. I don't know about you, but if someone is saying something pretty evil against me, the first words that I want to say is not, God bless you. <laughs> okay, but this is what Scripture calls us to do, is to bless. To bless with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions. And it reminds me of Luke 6 that says um, a lot of things in the context of when people speak evil against you. He says to do two things, I think we, uh, three things. There's a slide. Here's what Scripture tells us to do. It's kind of a uh, continuation of this little verse in 1 Peter. But in Luke 6, it says to do these three things when someone's speaking evil against you. It says to do good to those that hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those that abuse you. So do good to them, bless them, especially in the way you speak about them, and pray for them. It doesn't say pray for their friends. <laughs> it says pray for them. Don't just pray for their kids. Lord, bless them. Their kids. No, he says, pray blessing over them. And you know, as I was preparing this week, I realized I've had a few opportunities to practice this in my life. I have this amazing gift that places I go, I seem to accumulate haters sometimes. And the reality is, I don't, I don't have that many, but Beth reminded me that I for sure have more than she does. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I was like, well, thanks, that's encouraging. Give you the mic more often. How about that? And, um, you know, and so what, what does that mean? I've had to practice these things that Jesus says. I've had to forgive people and forgive them often. There are certain harder situations where daily for months, if not close to a year, I don't want to exaggerate, but daily for months, I've had to come before the Lord and say, God, I forgive this person. I forgive them for what they said. I forgive them for what they did. Lord, I will not hold a grudge against them. Lord, I forgive them in Jesus' name. Help my heart. I've had to ask God for grace to be careful with my words about people a lot. And then this last one, this is the hardest. Doing good to those that hate you. You ever tried that? Like, just give them money. Say someone's just talking so evil about you, slander, just, you know, bless them. Give them a little gift card. You ever tried that? <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> but here's what I've realized. There, let me tell you one funny story. There, there was a, a, a neighbor of a property that we used to own that really did not like us and um, even coming out of the house and yelling at us. And uh, we, I, I tried to reconcile, wrote a little note, say, hey, I'm willing to talk through anything. I'm so sorry for any way we offended you. And even around Christmas time, we decided to give some of the neighbors some Christmas cookies. And uh, we get, gave about five out, but one was returned to our doorsteps. And no, I will not receive your cookies. Anyways, I just thought that was so funny. We try to do good, and sometimes it's not received by the people. But here's what actually happens when you obey the words of Jesus. Your heart changes. Your heart, this is why he gave us these things, so that we don't get trapped in the bitterness and the resentment and the anger and the unforgiveness that so many are trapped by. When you forgive, when you bless, when you do good, it changes your heart. And I'm so thankful the Lord gives us these commands not to burden us, but to deliver us and set us free. There are times where people have really hurt me, but there's in the future, after I've gone through this process, I see them and I genuinely want to embrace them and give them a hug. And I have at times. And often it's awkward because I'm smiling and they're not. But it's freeing my heart the more I say yes to what the Lord asks us to do. Now here's how I want to wrap it up. Is I, I want to highlight a, something that's easy to look over in what I just read. Can you put um, 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9 up there again? And I want you to see what it says at the very end. 
After it says, hey, this is what you do. You don't revile back, but you bless them. For this you were called, and look at that last phrase, so that you may obtain a blessing. And what I want to do is I want to just give you a couple thoughts on what is the blessing that we receive when we respond in the right way when we're slandered, when we're accused, when we're reviled? What's the blessing that God says that we can partake in and that we get when this happens to us? And I have a slide of five things I want to briefly touch on, and then the band's going to come up. You guys can come up right now. <clears throat> Here it is, five things. And I want you to t you can take a picture of this, um, and you can reference these chapters later, but this is pretty important because... Like, I don't, I can't promise you guys that you're never going to experience a life without someone speaking something evil against you. Okay, but I can promise you that God is faithful to his word. And if we respond in the right way, in the right spirit, then these are the blessings that he says we'll, we'll receive. One is rewards in heaven. It's amazing. Luke 6 talks about, he even says, rejoice and leap for joy when people say evil things about you. Not because of what they're saying, but it says, because great is your reward in heaven. Whatever those rewards might be, I, I don't know, but it's, that's motivating for me to respond rightly. Next is learning to submit to the Lord's judgments. This is a unique one, but 1 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about it, and he was being accused and judged, and he just says, hey, I, you might be right, but I, I don't think you are, but he says, that's not even where my confidence lies. My confidence lies in that Jesus is a perfect judge, and he will judge me one day. I just, that has stuck out to me, is when you're getting judged and accused, you know what you think about? judgment <laughs> and it's just so cool that we can submit to the perfect judge and we can learn to trust him another one is we get to grow in christ-like character i think one for sure uh, characteristic is forgiveness we get to grow in forgiveness and what's so unique about those that revile you and come against you and accuse you is sometimes they have a little sliver an ounce of truth of something you need to grow in and they don't hold it back as much as maybe some of your more mature friends and so what it is is a free research team on where you need to grow. <laughs> if we have a secure and a humble enough mind, we might be able to listen and, and grow in certain areas that we had blind spots in. Okay, two more. Increasing, we have to increase in trusting God's plan to defend and to bless us. First Peter 3 talks about this, where he will, in the end, put silence those that accuse and condemn us. And what you notice over time, if you ever go through a season where someone's attacking, accusing, slandering, speaking evil, what you'll notice over time is that there's never a long-term effect to the season of attack and slander that you walk through. You feel it for a few weeks, a few months, maybe a few years, but over time, the true nature of who you are and who I am, who your neighbor is, will come to the surface. And we get to learn to trust God's plan to defend us. And then last but not least, 1 Peter 4 talks about this. The spirit of glory rests on us. There's a lot of things that could mean. It says when you're insulted, don't insult back because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Here's one of the things that could mean is like the nearness and the sensitivity of God's presence just gets stronger. When you're going through intense times, when you need to hear his voice. So many times when I've gone through seasons of this, just the, the nearness of God's presence has been my refuge. And I just would, I had a season of this recently where just you could, if you were to find me on Fridays, I would probably be at a coffee shop staring out a window and weeping because I was just receiving God's love. 
in those tender moments with the Lord, is so, it's so worth it to go through a few seasons or moments of being accused or slandered. His glory rests on us. So guys, here's my plea is it is worth it to respond well to those that accuse or slander. It's also worth it to take seriously the words that are coming out of our mouth. And here's a reason I'm going to end with the same uh, passage that I uh, shared earlier during worship. Hebrews 4 is another great example in 1 Peter 2 that talks about Jesus as our example. He's gone before us. But let me look at, ver- at Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. It says this. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That is so good. He can sympathize with your weaknesses. But in every respect, he was tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence and boldness, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So though this message might convict you at certain levels, the Lord is sitting on a throne of grace and he can sympathize with your weaknesses. He knows that some of us really struggle with letting careless things come out of our mouth. He knows that some of us are struggling and tempted to speak evil against those speaking evil against us. He can sympathize with us, but he's our great leader, our great shepherd, our great example who's gone before us, and we look at him, and by his grace, it's possible to actually overcome. But we need to come to his throne of grace and ask him to help us. So let's stand to our feet, and we're going to have some of our life group leaders and our, worship, and our um, staff come forward. And here's a couple specifics um, that I want us to respond with, and then we'll do some baptisms. So one, if you either now or recently have gone through a season where people have spoken evil against you, I just want to encourage you to come forward to receive some prayer because we want the Lord to heal your heart and also help you use self-control on how you're going to respond to those. And then there's some of us that you might seriously need to repent because you're very careless with your words. And the Lord is gracious and he's merciful and he wants to help us, but it just starts with us approaching his throne of grace and acknowledging that we need help and he wants to help us. Or if any of this, anything else you need that you need prayer for, then come forward. But let me pray for us. And as I pray, you can just start coming if you want to receive some prayer this morning. So Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word. It's living and it's active and we welcome it to, to convict and to pierce our hearts in fresh ways. And Lord, we ask you right now that you would help us with the words that come out of our mouth and how we respond to those that speak against us. Thank you, Jesus. You are a great example. You've gone before us and you can sympathize with our weaknesses. And so we approach your throne of grace with confidence this morning so that we can receive the grace, the mercy, and the help that we need. So come and minister to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.